This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listening land, welcome back to episode 44 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We are back again this week. We've got a fantastic guest, a repeat guest, a guest with a much better Skype connection, and we'll introduce him here in just a second. But I'm also here with our wonderful co-host, Steve Nassar. What's going on, Steve-O? Hey, Tucker. Good to be back on the show. We're actually starting to see some summer weather, which, is it just me or has this been the worst July of our lives? It's been god-awful terrible. Uh, uh, that's a good way to put it, I think. <laughs> it's been confusing, hasn't it? I've, I've been in Oregon many, many years. I'm a native, and I, I got to tell you, like July, I feel bad. I know somewhere out there right now is some poor sap and, and his recently married wife who, you know, a year ago decided, let's get married in the middle of a golf course on July 9th. It never rains on July 9th right boy i feel sorry for those guys and there's probably hundreds of those guys to be fair yeah it's just been a weird july normally this is a month you just can bank on there being no rain and it's it's blue skies and it has not been that that said there's no rain it's blue skies so i'm a happy guy today that's true you know what we had an event a couple months ago and we picked the first week of june thinking that there was a high likelihood of crappy weather but that been the only nice weekend we've had since the beginning of june was the first weekend so you know go figure but. isn't that and, the saying they say what do you call 10 days in a row of rain in oregon rose festival <laughs> <laughs> it must be time for the scum center That's yeah so you're right if if in early june which is when rose festival is we had sunshine then then we did have a little bit of a flip-flop there yeah we got a guest before we jump in and chat with him what's going on with you this last week it's been really busy. We just had our grand opening event. It was a broker's tour yesterday in Newburgh. I was there for about four hours. We actually did a little fun event. It's kind of like a concerts in the park afterwards. Tunes on Tuesdays, they call it. So Premier Property Group was excited to really represent all our management executive team was there. We're thrilled to be in this new market. There's such a great opportunity. We've added some new agents already, but now that having those doors open, it's such a beautiful location and it's such a great, great office. I I would venture it's almost one of our nicest offices on the inside, the build out, the high ceilings, open beams. It's almost got like a bend like lodge feel to it. It's really, really cool. So we're thrilled about that. I've been working with my marketing staff. We're getting really, really close. I haven't talked about this on here, but we're getting really, really close. We're within about 30 days of rolling out something that is really going to help our agents They're going to have the ability through our marketing platform portal to be able to order a welcome package delivered to a client within a day or so. They'll just go onto this ordering site. They'll enter their information and the client's information, and then they'll check a couple boxes. And then the next day, that person will get at their doorstep a beautiful white gift box with a folder a very well-written home buying book. I'm a little biased, by the way. Yeah, I wonder who wrote that book, right? <laughs> a home buying book. It's got flyers talking about our services. It's got a pin holder, a pouch. It's very, very well laid out, nicely laid out. I spent, 
I've spent a lot of my time on this thing and it all hasn't been recent. It, some of it happened in about five years ago. I spent about a, a full year on this product and then I wrote the book in 2006. So it's about 10 years old and there's been multiple revisions of it since. So I have put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into this product and I'm ex so excited to roll it out to our 600 plus agents. They are chomping at the bit to use it. And some of our partners that we work with are also excited to use it, including the one that we'll be interviewing today. So we've been working on that. Very excited. I'll probably be talking about that more here in the next month or two. In my personal business, I just here today had a little team event. We do something on my team that it's kind of cool. We try to rally around our different team members when it's their anniversary month. So there's a few of my team members who started in July. So we had a little lunch here. It's basically in the office. It's a potluck. We actually break out a little bit of beer and wine too. In addition to being able to spend some time together as a team and really bond that way, we also kind of, we, we have a little fun with it. We roast the person. We talk about all the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mostly good, mostly good though. <laughs> but we have fun with it in talking about those people. So we just did that today. And that's a cool thing we do here on our team. And then the only last thing I'll say is I did have a crazy little situation. I have a rural property out past Oregon City in Milano, and I've had a lot of drama with this listing. It's actually withdrawn because there are some boundary disputes going on, and we're, we're sorting through that with some lawyers. Well, all the while as it's withdrawn, the seller informs me that somebody broke. They actually took off the doorknob, took off the lockbox, broke into the lockbox somehow. I, I don't fully understand that. Broken into the house, ultimately stole the washer and dryer, did a bunch of other chaos there. And, and we've just had some weird stuff like that lately. So it's it's been kind of interesting dealing with that. That just says drugs are bad, Steve. Don't do drugs because <laughs> that's what you start doing. Speaking of lawyers, it's been an interesting morning. I, I spent this morning in court. I got subpoenaed for a problem that wasn't mine. And I got to waste a, an insane amount of time dealing with somebody else's problem. But I got to meet another realtor there that randomly got subpoenaed also, a guy that I won't mention on air, but it was uh, one of the bigger names in town. We never met. And so we spent some time in the waiting area getting to know each other. So it was kind of random, but no kidding. That's yeah. all sorts of exciting and not fun at the same time. Yeah, it was, it was a complete waste of time for everybody involved. But uh, when you get subpoenaed, you have to show up. So uh, what happens if you don't show up? <laughs> well, did you, did you I don't know. Do I asked that, that question this morning. <laughs> I didn't get an exact answer, but uh, <laughs> you just figured it was probably best to show up. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there's there's some political reasons why I showed up, too. It's, you know, but I won't go into those on the air. But um, beyond that, you probably remember the the appraiser that I told you I wanted to punch in the face last week uh, <laughs> because they wouldn't OK their reinspect. And right after we got off the air, I actually got the report that she created for the property that we were selling. And it's the first time this has ever happened to me. But she came in $166,000 below our list price on the appraisal. And What's the uh, list price, Tucker? It was a million one. Wow. So, wow. Um, I, I, I don't want to go into the property address on there or anything like that. But bottom line was this. I, at first, I was like, you know, you get a, an appraisal that comes in 20, 30 grand low. You go, okay, they didn't give it proper adjustments or they didn't recognize things that we give value to. I get it, right? But 166000 it's just, it's frightening that that person's doing appraisals. And so I got the report. I looked at it. And it's in Lake Oswego. And, and if you look all across Lake Oswego, there's only two places that you can buy new construction for under 300 bucks a square foot. One of those places is over off the Pilkington area, which is kind of like septic tank type area over there. It's not bad, but it's just lesser expensive. And then the only other place was the um, 
west side of, of Upper Drive across Bryant. That used to be kind of an armpit. It's cleaning up quite a bit. There was two new constructions that sold on there at under 300 square foot, but they're doing new projects that will probably post way over that. So basically what she did is, is we had a comp literally right next door that sold for 100000 more than she appraised our house for. New construction, same square footage, everything. She actually went farther away by a significant amount to drag down value as opposed to going farther away to substantiate value, which is what most appraisers do if they have to. So she kind of reverse engineered us. And you know, for the life of me, I, I thought maybe I pissed her off in a former life or something. I, I don't know. But we couldn't find any link to her. We just figured that she just hates what we do, which is redevelopment, uh, you know, removing older homes that aren't best serving the market and putting new, nicer homes in their place. And this was her way of kind of sticking it to me. So it was kind of a, a you know, we were riding the real estate roller coaster last week, as we like to say, Steve. And uh, it was a lot of emotions were flying. But I have to say the buyer's agent was actually really good. I met with her and the buyer after we got the report. And I said, look, guys, you can take the report for what it is if you want to, but here's why I think it's garbage. And, you know, fortunately they were, they were open to listening. And after they did, we, we ended up closing. So that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So that's how, that's how bad the report was that even the buyers didn't give it any credence. So, you know, you texted me about this right after our podcast last week and it felt like you thought the deal was going to die. Right. Initially. I, well, I mean, when was the last time you sold a house at a price for $166,000? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, can you blame me, right? You know, that's- no, 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 I, I get it. And fortunately, if I'm not mistaken, you said they were putting like 80% down. So, yeah, so- I mean, there, was a, there was a large down. So as yeah. our guest will tell you, I mean, that obviously it changes the LTV slightly, but yeah. the difference between 12 and 19% LTV isn't a whole lot on the back yeah. end. Yeah, yeah. but it would... It would definitely ruffle some feathers and cause some angst for a buyer who's like suddenly second guessing things. I, yeah, I guess, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, I spent two and a half hours with everybody that night that was unnecessary. Thanks to that appraiser. I, I have a permanent blacklist appraiser from now on. If anybody sends this gal to do a report, I don't care who you send, but it ain't going to be her. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but anyway, I, I digress. Let's we'll steer off of my problems. And uh, why don't we introduce our guest or why don't you go for it, Steve? Yeah, so this is a uh, repeat guest. We've had him on here before. I think, gosh, it'd be interesting to look back, but it was probably our second or third or fourth podcast. So it's been almost a year. It's Travis Olson with Director's Mortgage. He is my preferred lender over at Director's Mortgage. And Director's Mortgage is our preferred in-house lender for Premier Property Group. So we have a fantastic relationship. You know, I will say and, before before you bring him in, I think the government might come in and bust directors because I'm pretty sure they have a monopoly on our market here in terms of mortgage lending. Everywhere I go, man, you guys, your marketing department has done an amazing job. That's for sure. That is so true. That, that is so true. They're, I mean, especially if you're watching Blazer games are huge. Travis is, first of all, welcome, Travis. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> we're... We're talking. We're not involving you. I'm just going to let you guys keep talking, and I don't have – this is working great for me. (laughs) Travis, aren't you the the liaison for the Blazer side of things with Director's Mortgage? And you guys are huge in with the the Blazers, but there's billboards all over town. You guys do have some great branding and are very recognizable as a good local lender with decisions made right here in our city. And, yeah, you guys do great. Thank you so much. We try. Yeah, you know, I was even watching the news this morning and down in the bottom corner, like next to the time, it had the director's mortgage thing. And I was like, no kidding, man, they are everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we're everywhere. I'll be I'll actually will we'll notice things that I didn't even realize. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves we are a mortgage company that also has a passion to market, not a marketing company that has a passion to do mortgages. <laughs> so, you know, our marketing department has done a phenomenal job placing us. Um, and I think what I'm probably even more proud than anything is the the way that we've given back to the community, which 
you know, that that's really where my passion is. And that's been a great, you know, just one of the reasons I love where I work. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's talk about where you work, Travis, because you have a, such a great vantage point on such a crucial, crucial component of the real estate industry, and that being the mortgage lending. What is the overall current state of the lending world? You know, I think we're healthy. You know, every investor and obviously every every lender and every broker, I think, has different strengths and different weaknesses. And I think as an industry overall, we've made some great strides. I, I You know, we're going to talk a little bit going forward about regulations and regulatory changes and TRID. I think overall, TRID has made us a much stronger industry. I think it's taken some getting used to, but I'm comfortable with where we are today as an industry. And I look at August will be my 25th year in doing what I do. And I've seen a little bit of everything. And I honestly feel better about where we're at today as an industry than, than I ever have. Maybe that's because I'm getting old and <laughs> maybe a little bit wiser. But I do feel confident that we've built a sustainable model as an industry. Can we change and can we get better? Absolutely. There are so many things that are still broken in this business and that still make absolutely no sense and that are still being placed in front of us from regulators or from politicians that have no understanding whatsoever of what they're doing. But I guess the positive side to that is, is there have been changes that you know, making things make sense a little bit more. And at the end of the day, they're benefiting the consumer, which makes all of our lives, I think, a little bit easier. So Steve, to answer your question, I think the state of the mortgage business or the state of the lending industry is stronger today than it has been, you know, in in recent memory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of new names in the mortgage industry. I can't think of specific examples, but it feels like, and I'm actually, truth be told, I'm seeing it a little bit with the title industry. I'm seeing a couple new names here and there with title. You know, you'd think there wasn't a ton of room in the marketplace for new players, but I guess that's a healthy sign for the mortgage industry. If companies, if people are starting new companies or new companies are coming into Portland, I, I think that means there's an expansion going on. So that I take that as a positive. Yeah, you know what, I, you know, Steve, I think that's a great point. And I think a lot of what we see is not necessarily newer companies, but companies that have been around, but maybe have been lying a little bit more dormant or they haven't had major players with them. And I think you're seeing a lot of major players shifting where they've been. And as they shift, I think a lot of notoriety with shifts with them. So I think we're seeing some of that. And there's still, from everything I'm hearing in the recruiting side of things and the recruiting side of what I do, there's a lot of opportunity right now, it sounds like. There's a lot of unhappy individuals out there that are testing waters. And it's a tough time to test the waters when we're in a market like this because nobody wants to mess around with, you know, we've got a market right now that is on fire and nobody wants to make a change during that period of time. But unfortunately, there are some players that are, making they're they're forcing those those folks' hand. They just have no choice at this point with mm -hmm. decisions that they're making. So but then of course you've got, you know, some of the you you see guarantee rate, you see the rocket mortgages of the world that, you know, we see every time we turn on CNBC or MSNBC. And those are in, you know, institutions that are going to live and die by the rate environment that we're in. And we're in a hot rate environment. So mm -hmm. it, it isn't difficult to do well in this business right now. Mm -hmm. um, I remember yeah. Remember back in the day, Hayes Barner from Paramount Equity Mortgage, right? You know, that was, that was I haven't heard Hayes in a while. Of, the, of old, right? You know? yeah. yeah, that's so yeah. true. Yeah. And now, now they're advertising rates that are too low to advertise. We can't even say them on the air. That's the <laughs> that's one I love. Oh, yeah. Rates so low, we can't mention them. Yeah. Because that's interesting how enough are the old, the old, the guys that are running those companies, that company right now are the old Ditech guys. 
Oh, mm. wow. Yeah. Because that's how that works. If, if the rate is true, then you definitely can't say it on the air. It's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the good part of that, again, it, what I was saying is it's we went through a time period where it, was, it felt like everybody was circling the wagons, just trying to figure out. It wasn't just the market being challenging, but it was also the regulatory changes coming out and being challenging. And But yeah, to see some expansion and even some solid companies that were probably solid in other markets, you know, expanding into new markets, that's a that's yeah, a good that's, sign for the mortgage that's industry. That's a good point. So how are rates in comparison to where they've been in recent years? You know, they're great. I mean, I, it's funny. I, I, in preparation for this, I, I pulled some numbers and I I went back and I pulled the, just a standard 30-year fixed rate rate comparison because that seems to be the benchmark that everybody looks at. Everybody wants to know where your 30-year money is or where's your jumbo money. And it was interesting when I, I went back and pulled statistics as far back as July of 2012 and 30-year fixed rate averages – July of 2012 for 3.67%. Very interesting number. When you skip forward 12 months to July 2013, we bumped to 4.63%. Wow. Then we take another 12-month bump to July of 2014, and we settled a little bit. We're at 4.37. Another 12-month bump, July 2015, we're at four and a quarter. And then currently, as of this morning, it's about 3.5%. Wow. So if you start looking at where we are over a 60-month a period, we're about an eighth of a point better than where we were in July 2012. So interesting. Um, so it's very interesting. If you think about all the crap that our industry has been through in that five-year period, that even makes these numbers, I think, even more compelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it's, it speaks volumes, you guys, to the unrest of you know the rest of the world. Is the other thing that I think about. I mean, things that we have going on outside our borders that drive flight to safety to the U.S. and the U.S. bond market. You know, these numbers are solid. I mean, as an, I guess we should. I don't know how proud we can be of these numbers because I don't think we've done a whole lot to deserve these, other than we're the we're we're better than everybody else. (laughs) We're a safe environment than everywhere else right now. We're the best bad house on a terrible neighborhood. Exactly. No, exactly. you're right. You're right. When when I saw that whole Brexit fiasco unwinding, you know, here three, four weeks ago, I immediately knew that's going to be good for interest rates. I mean, right. to see Europe with all these black clouds around them, including England and, and the UK, especially them. But then, you know, the the swirling of doubt around the Eurozone, is that going to stay together? You just know that that makes the U.S. look so much safer to, right. to park your money. And that that is where interest rates really benefit. Mm-hmm. With that being said, I mean, I'm going to deviate from the script here a little bit and maybe just dive a little deeper on the whole market as a whole. But what are you seeing, Travis, in terms of the people that are buying right now? Because right now I've, I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, prices are bloated in spots and maybe they are, maybe they aren't. You know, the market's been hot for a while. We'll give it that. It, you know, real estate runs in cycles. They can only be hot for so long before it cools. That's just the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. But what are you seeing in terms of the average buyer? I mean, most people obviously are fully documented in terms of their income, but, you know, asset wise, I'm guessing that we've got pretty damn qualified buyers all around. Yeah. And I think this goes back to my comment earlier about the state of the industry. Qualifying for a loan today in this environment is a completely different environment than it was when Steve and I were doing this four, five, six years ago. You know, I don't care if you're a USDA first-time homebuyer with zero money down or you're buying Tucker, one of your big places up in Lake Oswego with 80% down. I can promise you those clients are being looked at with a completely different 
approach than they were five, six years ago. So it, it's it's critical that your your clients kind of have their ducks in a row. There's still tremendous opportunities. I mean, if you've got clients with little to no money down, there's still great opportunities. I mean, you know, your down payment piece is one leg of the stool, right? We've got a stool and each of one of those legs, we've got assets, income, credit, and property. We can operate with three out of the four. We can't operate with two out of the four. The stool falls over. So it's real important that when we're looking at that client, if they're if they don't have the down payment, that their income and their credit and what they're purchasing makes sense. The collateral piece makes sense. If we've got a client with a significantly large down payment, we can give in some of those other areas. So I guess my point, Tucker, is is to validate what you're saying. Yeah, I don't think the clients are any different than they were probably 10 years ago, five, six years ago, but the process is different. And we're vetting those clients out up front to make sure that they fit within the guidelines that we know we need them to fit, as opposed to being able to, as an industry, six, seven years ago, if, you know, if you can make fog on a mirror, you can get a loan. Yeah. And it was really that easy. Yeah. And um, that's part of my point. I was you know, hoping that you'd make for me, which you did, is that a lot of the people that are participating in today's market whether it be wherever prices are going. I mean, they've been pushing upward, but everybody that's participating is a solid buyer. You know, like you yeah. said, they've got at least three of the four legs on the stool. Most of them have four, you know. So if the market cools, it's going to cool not because of financing debacles or issues on the back end, debt not getting paid, things of that nature. It's going to be more of an inventory driven cooling, which, you know, as you get more to choose from, it puts a little downward pressure. It stalls out upward pressure on prices. And so- right. I mean, I was looking at it earlier. Steve, you probably saw it too. You forwarded it to me earlier this week. The um, inventory numbers for last month. I mean, we've been in the ones all year. Like, that's mm -hmm. insane. You know, so it's like, no wonder, Mark, you know, Portland's on fire. I mean, we're, we've got 1.5 months of inventory again this month. Like, it's, it's crazy. You know, another thing, Tucker, that I, I'm not seeing, Steve, you can comment on this. When we went through our nuttiness in, what, 2009, when stuff was, I mean, we had that frenzy going on. I am seeing clients, I don't want to say cautious is the right word because I don't think cautious, but I think they're being much more responsible versus being emotional in their purchase. I just remember when we went through this last time, clients would miss out on four, five, six properties. They'd miss out to cash or they'd miss out to an investor or whatever the case may be. And you could almost see them getting frustrated and even borderline upset and pissed. And this comp this competitive side of them came out and they're like, I'm going to get the next one no matter what. I'm not feeling that this time around. And I think that that's probably because as a group, I think for the most part, and I'm not going to speak for everybody, but for the most part, I think our agents are more educated and I think they're doing a better job managing the emotions of their clients. And I think as an industry, we're probably, we've got some barriers in place in the appraisals. So, I mean, I don't know, Steve, I'd be curious to see what your feedback is on that. Because, I mean, you work with more buyers than just about any other agent that I work with. So, what's your take well, on that? I agree a thousand percent that the market is propped up by people that qualified for their houses. We know that. We know that. And we know that if everything changed overnight, people could still sit in their houses, barring some tremendous collapse in employment rates, and make those payments. So we're no way anywhere near what we were 10 years ago when there was a credit bubble where just money was being thrown out to people left and right who didn't deserve that money, nor could they afford that house if it was in a real situation. That said, I've been pretty vocal on this show and you know we, we've had a four-year run on this, guys. I mean, this good market really, if you look at the data, the market bottomed out early 2012, late 2011, early 2012. That's four and a half years ago, okay? It's 
to put that into perspective, the downturn was about four years long. It was from 2007 to 2011. So I feel like we're due for a correction. I'm not saying it's here mm-hmm. by no means. I, and I've said this before on the show. I'm not saying July of 2016 is a correction. I'm not even saying it's September. I'm not even saying it's next year, but I feel like it's going to come. It has to. Markets just do move in those cycles. One of the things that I have seen, amongst other things, I mean, I think Portland is getting a little a little higher priced. To your point, Tucker, you are correct. The numbers were good in the latest market action report. It came out June. I, I think I forwarded it to you. Mm-hmm. But amongst the low inventory, did you notice that May and June of 2016 were the best May of June since 2015? Do you remember in December how it was the best ever? Do you remember in November it was the best since 06 or 05? We're now just, we're not even better than a year ago. So there's a little bit of a sign that things aren't quite the way they were even six months ago. That article that I sent you guys was talking about one of the things I heard after the last downturn, you know, we all, we all were a lot younger and, and less experienced and we learned a lot through that. One thing I remember hearing and seeing during the last downturn, pretty smart person told me, they said, you know, I knew things were going to change when I would go out to a restaurant and I would say I'm in real estate and my server would be like, yeah, I just got my license. So am I. (laughs) Or I would go to Starbucks and the person that who is serving my coffee informed me that they're flipping houses now. I'm seeing that again, guys. I mean, I you know, I feel like I'm getting people calling me who are flipping houses who have day jobs and shouldn't really be flipping houses, but they don't want to miss the boat. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to me, those are some telltale signs. And that's kind of what that article was that I sent you. At the same time, we'll call those people dumb money or less experienced money. Right. When you start to see a market where the dumb money is flowing in head first, it starts to artificially inflate the market. If mm-hmm. all of a sudden we're seeing these multiple offers and they're propped up because many of these buyers are looking to flip their first house. And at the same time, that article I sent you was saying that institutional buyers, smart money, people who know what the heck they're doing, they're a little bit pulling out. They're getting a little bit more cautious. Does it mean they're not buying anything? Absolutely not. But they're picking and choosing a little bit more and, and they're sitting a little bit more on the sidelines. That to me is, a, is an early warning sign that a correction could be coming. So there's my yeah. my two cents on it. I'm I, not I saying it's it was, here and I'm not saying it's imminent. I thought it was really interesting, Steve, on the article, to the article that you sent us. It states in there that the institutional buyers that are pulling out of the market right now had been accustomed to about a 40% discount over the previous sales prices on some of these auctions that they're getting. And I thought that it was interesting that now they're only yielding about a 30% markdown and they're beginning to pull out of that market, I just find it interesting that that 10% variance is enough to have them pull back. If they're still purchasing at premium prices, that that 10% enough, but I totally understand. I mean, it's a different environment when you're competing with more of an emotional type of a buyer versus an institutional investor. Yeah. And I, you know, I live in this world, so I can probably shed some light on what's going on here. You know, that 40% to 30%, Travis, a lot of these homes, when they're buying them, they need a certain percentage of work, right? And so you've got money costs, you've got selling costs, you know, your money costs, your carrying costs, you've got your repair costs, you've got all these costs that factor in. And so 
forty percent, it obviously depends on how much work you're expecting to have to do to the property to make it retail ready. So I think that that's kind of a generality that they state in the article that it used to be forty percent, now they buy thirty percent. You know, mm-hmm. that's obviously not you know it, it's not uniform for every property that they buy, but just on the average, they they got to do at least some work to a property, and so they need to preserve whatever that margin is left over after your work, your carry costs, your selling costs, mm-hmm. uh, and everything in between. And so that even though that's only ten percent, they might only be making. 11% on the sale, you know, anyway, right? And the bigger institution guys, they're a high volume, lower margin type mm-hmm. operation. That's what they do. Ma and pa people, as Steve so eloquently put it, the dumber money, right, that are coming in. And and that's not to insult anybody, but that's just the truth. I mean, I've seen it happen multiple times now, right? Everybody sees the flipping shows on TV. Circus comes to town and teaches you how to flip real estate. And now all of a sudden, everybody wants to get rich overnight. And that's what they do. So they round up some family money. They get a partner. And they go after whatever the first fixer that they can find on RMLS or at an auction or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. they bid it up and they overpay for it too because it, they don't it, know what they're doing. Exactly. And so and you, I've seen this happen many times and, and I've said it before. They get bucked off, right? They're kind mm-hmm. of the one and dunners, maybe two or three and dunners. You know, the game bucks them off because they, they're buying on emotion, as you guys mentioned, and not off of experience and know-how. But the other thing that's interesting about that article, Steve, and I'm not saying that it's not an indicator of some sort. But all of those sales that they mentioned only represent 2.5% of the entire market, right? Whereas when we were in the previous collapse, we're talking about people that were speculating buying retail property, right? They were buying based purely on appreciation. We weren't talking about the small sub-segment of the market that's buying to flip. Before, everybody thought they were flippers, right? Because you just buy anything and it goes up in value. So, you know, virtually 100% of the market was speculators, now the speculators or flippers, you know, they represent 2.5% of the market. So, you know, I think that even with the idiocy that's entering the market there in, you know, some markets more than others, I don't think it's going to have a major impact. Now, it could be an indicator like you're, you're mentioning, Steve, of, you know, is it's just an overall how hot is real estate getting and how many people are, you know, trying to get into the market. And is that pushing prices up because, you know, more and more people are interested in buying real estate overall. But I don't think that them overpaying is going to have a negative impact on the market as a whole with just that small of a subsection of people that are actually doing that compared to the total number of sales out there. But that's my two cents. Yeah, we kind of saw the opposite of this during the downturn. They call it a capitulation. It's kind of when all of a sudden the fear in the market has heightened to its highest level that it suddenly becomes a buying opportunity. And so in the downturn, we saw dumb money or less experienced money scared out of their wits because it was everything was falling apart selling, 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 selling. And then all of a sudden the smart money moves in and they're like, okay, this is, and and do any of us question those guys who were buying institutions that were buying, gobbling up houses in 2010 and 2011? I mean, the smartest move ever. Any of you guys like to go back and do that with them? Right. But at the time, remember it wasn't, it wasn't looked at. It was scary. Yeah. It was scary. Smart money always is doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing. And so I guess what I'm getting at is Everybody's buying right now, and we're starting to see a lot of the less experienced people really, really excited and really enthused in the market. And I think, personally, I think some of the more institutional people are, are, are getting a little bit, pulling a little bit back. I'm not saying they're completely out. So it's just something to keep your eye on and doesn't change anything we do on a day-in and day-out basis. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think this market needs to cool a little bit. I'd love to see Fizbo's not be so easy. I'd love to see discount brokers not pounding their chest, talking about how they don't need people, sellers don't need to pay more. I'd love to see less new realtors coming into the business. 
there's many, many benefits to a more normal market where, I mean, I'm, I'm tired of going to listing appointments where, you know, you sit there and you present this amazing marketing and system and process and the seller goes, oh, I don't need you. I've, you know, I can pay somebody this much and I don't even need to make strategic improvements on my house. It can sell itself. So I think there'll be a healthy process here. And it is so different than what it was last time. So different. I mean, we're not propped up. You're right, Tucker. It's This is a smaller subsection of the market, but it just seems a little bit frothy to me. It feels like, can we keep going up 10% every year here in Portland? I just don't, I don't know. I don't yeah, see I it. Say, I would say no. I'm yes. sure. But what do you think, Travis? No, I agree completely. I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, let's chat a little bit about a couple other things, Travis. Regulatory changes. They were just coming fast and furious at you guys in the mortgage world, one after the other after the other, as recent as TRID back in October. Is that continuing? And what are some recent examples? You know, we've calmed down. We've calmed down. I think we are now fine-tuning some of the changes that have been made as an industry, but we've settled into the changes that were made in October. And I think we're learning how to work through those. And I think as an industry, there's still some struggles and some challenges. And I think the majority of them fall in the in the laps of the larger banks in regards to specifically some of their disclosure processes and their turn times. I can only speak towards what I know. And I am very, very proud of how we've done as an organization staying ahead of this. And this didn't start in October. This started months and months before preparing. And I think we've done a good job. And we've you know, we've been able to fine tune things as we've gone along. We started this process thinking that the best thing to do would be to have a CD desk in place or a disclosure desk in place. We've determined through the process and through the feedback of our, our some of our top producing originators and their feedback from their agents that that may not be the best and most efficient way to do things. So we've scaled that back now and each of our processors are now completing all of our CDs. It's helped make us more efficient. So we're nimble enough that we're making the changes. It was funny. I just pulled our fiscal month runs the 16th through the 15th of each month. So we just finished our month end. Our average application to funding close time last month was 37.8 days. And that was over $40 million in funded loans. So that's a pretty compelling number. Since October, we've ran no more than about 38 days, 39 days. I mean, those numbers speak volumes. I think we're as efficient as we were before, if not more efficient, because we've been forced to work with the timeline. I mean, it's funny. You tell your kids, you teach your kids when your kids are growing up about managing their days and managing their calendars. And I remember going to college, my first year in college, the most difficult thing about managing my time in college was managing my time and making sure I was doing the things I needed to do to get things completed on time. This industry has just gone through their first year of college. We as an industry have set these benchmarks and these milestones. And I think it's made us, and I shouldn't, I can't speak for the entire industry, but I think certain companies, it's made them stronger. And I think it's given them the ability to excel. So trade is really, is not a daily topic anymore. And I, man, if you would have told me last October, we, I would say that I would have said, I don't know, you know, it's hard to not prescribe to the doom and gloom of it when it came out. But I think it's made us stronger. And I think at the end of the day, it's helped our clients. Is it perfect? And can it still change? Yeah, there are still some of the disclosure things that need to change and that will make us more efficient. And they serve absolutely no purpose. But we're getting there one step at a time. That's really cool. Hey, Travis, I want to mention when I first heard your fiscal month went from the 16th to the 15th, I was immediately blown away with how brilliant that is because everybody else 
in your business is first through 30th or 31st, whatever the last day of the month is. Well, guess what that does? It clogs up the title companies at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. So by, by you guys going, okay, we're going to do it this way. All your loan officers are trying to cram their deals in on the 13th, 14th, 15th, when they can get paid mm -hmm. soon thereafter. And guess what? The title companies are, they can yeah, take they love it, it and they love it. Yeah. So I, th I thought, I think that's a really cool thing. And I, I, I love that about directors. Hey, let's talk a little bit about appraisals. Why do you think appraisals are taking so long and what is the fix for this? It is one of my biggest frustrations right now and that it, it's a challenge and you know, it comes down to supply and demand. It's really that simple. We have got so much volume right now and we've got a limited number of, of good quality appraisers. And I'm speaking as an industry. This is not a director's comment. Um, this is an industry comment. And it is such an anomaly right now. And it's amazing to me that in the midst of this election year that we're in, that somebody hasn't you know, globbed onto this and said, we need to fix this. We need to protect our vets. We need, it's because the stuff that's happening is, it's tough. And it's, you know, the appraisers, I don't know that, you know, you can't blame them. I mean, this is an industry that is, this is an aging industry. This is an industry where the average age of the appraisers in the market right now are 58 years old. And it's an, it's an industry with ridiculous barriers to entry right now. And, and not that the appraisers are being nasty about it and they're not letting people come in. It's just the way the licensing is set up. It's so difficult to get a, an appraiser set up and where they need to be. It's not a process where you, you bring in an apprentice and, you know, two days later, he's ready to go. It's a process that takes a, at least a year, if not more. And then that appraiser who's carrying that apprentice has to be willing to and capable of training them. It's a really tough situation right now. I think they also, and we were talking to Craig Black about this a few weeks ago, I think they have like an education requirement in terms of traditional education layered on top of that now too. Whereas yeah. like, you know, for you, me, Steve, we don't have to go to college to be in the real estate game. But if yeah. you want to be an appraiser, I think now they, they make you have a four-year degree or something similar to that, he said. So you've even got that on top Correct. of it, which, you know, somebody goes to school for that long. You know, that's time committed, money not earned, right? Probably money right. owed. And then you have to go do an apprenticeship for a sustained amount of time if you can find somebody to do it after that, you know, mm -hmm. when student loans are ticking, right? So, yeah, sure. I think I think that's a great point. The average age of appraiser is 58 years old. It's an aging industry, and I don't know that we have that many people coming in on the low end. But, guys, you know what else is interesting about that? What's the the average age of originators, the average age of real estate agents? I mean, we as an industry, I think, are facing a monumental change. You know, the average age of any of our industries is not far off that. So I think it's interesting. Yeah, I wonder what the average age, you know what the average age of an originator is these days? or You know, it would be, it would be a complete, absolute guess, but I guarantee you that it's not probably much better than 40 to 45. Yeah, yeah, I would bet something like that too. Huh. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I think that that's you know, going to have a bigger impact on things as time goes on. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about loan programs. I got an email the other day, guys. I haven't even told you this. It said stated something in the loan. It was one of those spammers. Mm -hmm. you, yeah, have I think you I heard got the same this? email. Tra yeah. Travis, am yeah, I? Yeah, get those faxes. Those, you know, those e-faxes? <laughs> yeah, I get those e-faxes too. And 
guys, I don't pay any attention to them because they're garbage. You know, I think you see. You and I see, didn't pay attention to it either, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's garbage. There's nothing like that available with any credence whatsoever within the real estate, within the residential community. I've heard rumors in, in the commercial world that there's some of that stuff going on. You know, that being said, I think stated income loans, and I'm going to say it in this program, I think there's a tremendous amount of merit in those loans if they're prescribed the right way. And they're the right responsibly. Totally yeah. agree. Totally right down payment. You know, this is not a loan, Tucker Fur, when we're standing in line at Fred Meyer and the checker says, I want to buy a house. No disrespect to Fred Meyer checkers, but and they want to buy a million dollar home. Well, okay, well, you're going to need to make this amount of money. That's not what this loan is for. This loan is for your higher end business owners, doctors, attorneys, individuals that carry very difficult, tricky tax returns that have demonstrated the ability through their credit, through their payment histories in the past, that they can make this type of a loan. And they've got a significant enough down payment. There's virtually no risk if the loan is underwritten the right way. And I feel that there's a tremendous need for that in this market. And if I'm an investor, I got to be looking at that to some extent as an opportunity, again, that virtually has little to no risk if it's administered the right way. I totally agree. I, I mean, I've been screaming this for three years now, you know, but I think you make a great point if it's prescribed the right way. But there's a lot of people that are, you know, self-employed, have pretty exotic tax returns, business owners, things of that nature. I mean, it, mainly self-employed more than anything, or have a variety of investments that maybe give them, uh, you know, deductions to help offset a lot of their income, things like that, that, mm -hmm. you know, with the right amount of assets and down payment, I mean, I think that assets should be verified always on something like that, just because it, it keeps the, you know, the jokers out of the, out of the game. But, you know, if you do that and you have a significant down payment, I think you're right. I think that there would be a huge amount of opportunity, not only, well, helpful to the marketplace of those people that need it, but to investors that could potentially fund those loans. I mean, there's a huge, really healthy market of borrowers for that type of loan. I really mm -hmm. do believe that. Yeah. And I just wanted to tell you guys, I mean, I, I truly <laughs> did not make that up and it grabbed my attention, I, even though I didn't really read it until just now. But and I'm going to forward this to you guys when we're done here. But I got this email. The subject line is stated income lending. It's from a company called Atna Capital, A-E-T-N-A Capital Real Estate Lending. It says how Atna Capital works to fund your difficult loans. Scenario, you've got a client who wants to take out a new mortgage loan. Normally, you would take your client straight to the big banks, but this client is getting approved because maybe they have non-conventional income or maybe they have a rough financial year. Either way, the banks won't have it, but you argue that you have a good credit and perfect payment history. So I don't know. I mean, it's just it's interesting because it's not an email subject line I have seen in seven or eight years. I'm not yeah. even saying that it's real. Maybe this is hard money for all I know, but it was just it, it grabbed me and I was, it was something kind of interesting. I'll forward it to you guys. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in time we don't see that product available because it's just going to be a matter of time until the comfort level is there. And I mean, we're seeing we're seeing changes in the jumbo market that I didn't think we'd ever see again. So I just think it's a comfort level getting to where we need to be and then also demonstrating as an industry that we're not going to take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. Any other interesting things going on as far as loosening up of guidelines? I mean, are they still, are deposits as big a deal as they were six, seven years ago where all of a sudden you'd have this client, you're on the home stretch, everything's great. They put 200 bucks in the bank and suddenly there's a grenade in your transaction. I mean, are, is that changing? Just a super huge pain in the ass, honestly. Um, <laughs> that's what it is. It's not necessarily it's a, a grenade. But, 
It's just, it's frustrating. Anything above 10% of what the client's gross earnings are, we have to be concerned with. So I have a client that's making five grand a month. He has a deposit that's in excess of 10% of what his gross earnings are. I need to document it. And the biggest challenge with that is not documented. It's, usually we can do it. It's, it, you know, it's trying to explain to the client why, why we need it. And yeah, I know you just deposited $500 in your account. I know you just had a garage sale last weekend. I'm sorry, but I've got, you know, unfortunately, it's the hoops we've got to jump through. And I'm going to say it right now. God bless our support people because they're the ones that are, you know, pages in my world. And Rachel, they're the ones that are fighting those battles with the client. Every once in a while, I'll need to get involved when it's a, a difficult one. Where it gets difficult is when they can't be documented. I had a client last month that we, <laughs> we ended up funding on. See, this might have been one of yours. I can't. It was. I it was. But she sold a piece of farm equipment and had a garage sale and had a $5,800 deposit. And, you know, getting around that took some creativity. But yeah, that isn't going away anytime soon. But the yeah. good thing about it is a lot of times we can do that without the client ever even knowing it needs to be done. And they don't, they don't know anything about it. So we're able to handle it on the back end, but not always. Yeah, I could see how that could be a challenging conversation for your support people at times. So you're right. God bless them. <laughs> for taking yeah, care right? of it for you. <laughs> cool. Well, Travis, thank you again for coming on our show. I think we're wrapping up now. If someone were to want to get a hold of you, how what would be the best way of going about doing so? Best way to reach me is my cell phone, 503-449-3807. Again, 503-449-3807. Call or text. And I am always around. I've got some great partners with me on my team. Uh, Michelle Nielsen, who does a phenomenal job, Jeff Waller. We are always available pretty much 24-7. So we're here for you. Cool. Well, we'll make sure we put a, a link in the show notes, too, so that people can find you online as well. I will second that. He He's the real deal, folks. He makes it happen. He's got just a great system, great people, and they all gel very well together. So thank you, Travis, for being on the show, and thank you for being a great lender. Thanks, guys. Hey, I wanted to give a little shout-out if Randy Sebastian's listening. He's competing in Pittsburgh this week for his pro card. You guys interviewed. You guys had him on the show not long ago. We're all hoping he gets it because we're sick of hearing him. <laughs> no, we love him to death, too. but we want him to get it. He's been working so hard for uh, two years to make this happen, and it's a big week for him. So send him some good thoughts if you hear this, and it's not 24 hours or a week past when he's already done it. Yeah, <laughs> very exciting. I've seen the pictures. He's jacked up. I think he'll do he's just jacked. fine. So. Did you see him on the airplane? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah he's, he's jacked. He's jacked up. So cool. Well, hey, thanks for joining us, Travis. Steve, pleasure as always. Everybody out there in Listenerland, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.